0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of The Modern Squid, where we get to know the people behind our favorite writers and brands. On this week's episode, we have Yoon Long Young, and he has a really interesting story about his travels. Without further ado, here we go. All right. So let's start with the baseline question. On that scale a full squid to full at-gat, where would you say you fall?
1: I would say most of the time, I'm all the gear all the time. And I would say that when I'm in the US, that's pretty true. But when I went to do my big trip, when I stayed in like Colombia for a long time, there was quite a few days I went out without jackets or even even protective wear for pants, just because one, it's miserably, humidly hot. And I would never leave without the helmet, but also like if you're just going down the street to get food, cause that's like my own, only transportation and I'm staying in the same place. Like I am not going to load up all my gear to do five miles and then come back five miles and then take everything off. And then, so there's a, there's a bit of that. So there was a lot of riding where it was just helmet and nothing else. When I was on my trip but generally when I leave the house here it's always with full gear.
0: Okay um, <clears throat> so I was reading through your blog and it seemed like you had mentioned that you you've dropped the bike a number of times uh, especially on the trip. Now I assume that all the times that you dropped the bike you were wearing your gear so do you feel like it helped?
1: yes so the big crash i had was in alaska that was that was i mean i had i had a, had a bunch of crashes over the years i mean like you know the the saying goes it's not when you're going to you know if you're going to but when you're going to crash so um there, there there's different times i think i've crashed a lot more riding off road than i have you know on the road um once i got over like the learning curve after a few years like the on the road crashes are kind of you know, not, not, not very frequent. If not, I don't remember the last time I, I, had a, I had a spill on the road. But riding off-road, you know, you go on rocky terrain. You often dump your bike. And it's not really the same thing because you're not going nearly as fast. Um, but the gears definitely helped. The boots definitely help, And the, I would say, like, the bottom half helps a lot more than the top half. Like, your knee and your hip when you drop your bike and then, like, potentially your bike land on your leg. Or like some awkward position when you hit your hip on a rock and you come off of it, like the bottom half definitely a lot more than the top half for me. So,
0: yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, a lot of people forego real riding boots. And when I was in my MSF class, the guy was trying to convince everyone to make sure that they got real riding boots because he's like, not only could it squish your foot, but it can get burned too. So make sure you got something. (laughs) <laughs> between your foot and um all the hot parts in case you drop it you know because it might take you a second to get it off you
1: yeah yeah especially on cruisers where the kind of the exhaust pipe kind of sits kind of right where your leg is and a lot of a lot of models kind of the exhaust sitting right there especially harleys they're like right there on your leg and if you like dropped and it lanes on you then the, the, the pipe is literally just crushing against your leg until somebody and then you get it out of there so yeah,
0: I have a Harley, so I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't dropped it on myself yet, um, but I have dropped it. And funny enough, it was in gravel. Uh, I was in like a little park and... Everything was paved and they had some like really good signage. It seemed very family friendly, you Mm -hmm. know, like you're not really out in the wilderness. And there was a little turnoff and I don't remember what the site was, but there was like a little sightseeing area over there. And when you first turn off, the gravel was super hard packed and just looked like a hard road. So I slowed down thinking, ah, you know, I'll just take it a little bit easy. Well, 10 feet in the gravel gets super loose. It's like six inches deep. And I have no off-road experience. (laughs) So I'm trying to slow it down and turn. And as soon as I started turning a little bit, the bike just like dropped. And luckily I was able to get out of the way and pick it up later. But uh, yeah, gravel, man. Gravel's my nemesis.
1: (laughs) Especially on on like uh, on cruisers, like your tire is probably not like for any kind of like gravel road. Yeah. No (laughs) knobbies.
0: I saw your tire, by the way, um, on your blog, where when you finally replaced it, and I'm shocked that you could ride on it
1: with oh, it was how terrible.
0: worn that you made that thing. That was crazy.
1: That was terrible. And it was, uh, and then and then I swapped the I that, that was so I was swapping that when I was in uh, in in Canada, and then I sw- they didn't have any tires, so like the the host that that hosted me he's a big motorcycle guy. So he had to teach us like the motorcycle course up there. And he got me a tire and he didn't get, he, he got like a super knobby off-road tire for me. And it was, it was okay. I mean, it was the only tire they had. So then I slapped this thing on, didn't know that when I got to Oregon, when I'm coming down from Idaho going towards Oregon, the winds were so bad and I'm on like this tiny, tiny knobby like contact patch. And I'm just like sliding all over the road. Oh my God, I thought I was gonna crash every like five seconds. Cause Holy I'm just boy. like five feet over, five feet back and then the wind just blows you and you're just like, I feel so unstable cause it's, it's so bad.
0: So uh, l- let's back up for a second, because I haven't mentioned, I don't think you've mentioned either, um, but you actually took a trip from uh, Alaska all the way down to Argentina. Was that right?
1: Actually, D.C. all the way up to Alaska, all the way down to Argentina.
0: Now, did you come back up the East Coast as you were coming back? or how? Did-
1: no, I didn't come back. Uh, I came all the way up to Buenos Aires, and then I flew back and shipped it back. Okay. Still, that's yeah. a
0: long, long ride. Yeah. Now, was it 2016 that you did that, or how far back was it?
1: That was, no, it was, it was, was it was two years already. Yeah. Two years ago. Okay. It's 2018.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So how long did the whole trip take
1: overall? About nine months and a little more. Holy moly. Yeah. I think by the, but in the mid of eight months or so, I started wanting to come home. Um. But the second I got home if, in like, Tie you on my bike, I was like, I'm ready to leave again.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hear that, you know. Um, I've never done it myself, but I don't know if you've heard of Teapot One. He's a British vlogger, and he did, I, I don't remember if it was like an Africa tour or around the world tour or something, but he said the same thing where he was like kind of anxious to get home. But then as soon as he got home, he was just like, I want to get back out, you yep. know.
1: <laughs> For the most of the issue is you can't. Like by then my, t- my bike was really tired and I know that I haven't really taken care of it and there's really difficult to take care of it on, on the road for certain things. And it's really also difficult to get parts and get like replacement parts quickly and properly. And then like things have been damaged. Like I want to replace, I couldn't do like, I ended up with a, uh, a decent sized chunk missing from my swing arm because the chain got loose and um, I had my girlfriend on the back. I met her in Colombia and I picked her up and then we rode down to Argentina. Um, but I didn't know that the extra, extra weight, as long as her luggage, like really sagged the chain and it stretched it out really fast. And while well, the chain got really loose and it would start slapping the swing arm and then it wore away all the protector rubber piece and can't buy any, I can't buy another rubber piece anywhere near, I right? so I ended up just buying like the quick like uh, paste epoxy. And every night I would put it over it, like fill the hole up, and then by the end of the next day it would be completely gone, I buy, I buy another stick and I fill it all up and the next day I roll again with it. And I did that for from all the way, actually I've discovered that like midway down Argentina and I did that all the way down to Ushuaia, and then back to Buenos Aires. Before I got it, like a, I got another chain in um, in one of the in one of the towns going up to it, but it was it was really sketchy. You
0: know, <laughs> you know what we call that, right? We, we <laughs> call that uh, backyard mechanic stuff.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It was it was uh, as backyard as it gets, man. It was, it was about as shady as it gets, shade tree mechanic as it is.
0: that's great but I mean it sounds like it was a lot of fun so you know and you got a great story you know what I mean like uh, that's one of the benefits of taking trips I think is you come back and you got these stories you can tell people Um,
1: interesting enough um, I find it very difficult when I came back telling people these stories like people just don't are not able to relate Unless you unless you've ridden trips like that yourself, or like in certain capacity that you did maybe like a cross country trip or had a you know went certain amount of mileage, like there's there's such a huge disconnect from understanding the the, the depth and the length and it's just like I tell people oh I rode from here to Alaska down to Argentina there like, go oh, okay cool, and then later on I'll talk to them again they're like what you did what like they just didn't really understand it at first. And then it also didn't, I almost want to say, didn't know where the geography of these things are. Like just by, you know, passing by saying, oh, I went from here to here. Like they're not really like, okay, whatever. But they don't really comprehend where they are. And then you really think about it. It's like, and then I find that people have a difficult time like um, sharing these things with people. I find that people, You know, cannot really relate unless you're unless you've done it yourself or or at least in similar trips or something.
0: Sure. Well, and I think that a lot of people, um I hate to say it, but a lot of people listen to talk, just wait for a chance to talk versus Mm -hmm. want to really hear someone else's experience. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I like about podcasting is I really do like to hear people's experiences. And so I can get in touch with people who I think are going to have an interesting story um, and really get a chance to go deep. And when I share it with people, the people who are going to listen are going to be people who also care about that kind of stuff. And it's one of the things that appeals to me about this, because if if you're not interested, you don't have to listen. There's no waiting to talk because you can't talk back to the podcast. (laughs) You know? It's so it's, it's weird because electronically you would think that there's less of a connection, but there's almost more deep of a connection mm-hmm. doing it this way because you know you're reaching people who actually care.
1: Yeah.
0: So anyway, that's my two cents. No. But, uh, <laughs> now, w- want to tell everyone why
1: you decided to do the trip? Um, I don't know. I just kind of like decided that. Um, I did. Eight years as a school counselor. I was in a leadership position in my school. I had my own uh, counseling department that I'm supervised over a few counselors. And I've been doing that for four years at that time. And I'm like, okay, I can do the work. I'm pretty decent at it. Man, I'm bored. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked at my... um, contract with uh my county because i'm tenured already i looked at my contract It's like oh you can request for a uh one year sabbatical every four years in the county wow so i was like so that means i come back i'll still have my job yes where do i sign (laughs) (laughs) and of course there's always this issue because i have taken a lot of um I've taken a lot of trips. Um, one of the earlier trips is the cross-country trip on, on that bike, actually. Mm-hmm. On, the, on, the, on the yellow BMW, BMW R1100S. So that's one of my first cross-country trips. And that was a uh, three-week ordeal. And the only reason I was able to do that is because I didn't camp anywhere. So, of course, that cost is significantly higher when you have to motel it or hotel it across the, the country. But it also, it gives you a lot more ride time. Cause you don't, you know, and your left bike's a lot lighter and you get a lot more ride time because you're not cooking anything. You get there, you order food and then you, you go on. Um, and that trip cost me, I think just shot of three grand to do 21 days. Um, it's not that
0: bad. I mean, that's like, you know, what you'd spend if you went to Europe, just on plane tickets and like, a couple of days a hotel you know so right exactly
1: but it, but it but it is really like that's the only way you can travel if you only have like two to three weeks a year and I always feel like man I wish I could go further because every time you want to turn around is just like this like sadness when you when you go out riding and you have to turn around whether it's for work or whether it's end of the day or a day ride it's just like ah oh, gotta ride home now. <laughs> you know it, it, <laughs> I don't know if you feel that way, I don't know or not, but I always get that like, oh, man, I got to turn around now now the sun's in a different position uh, It's kind of depressing um, but uh I just, I just want to keep riding. I just want to keep going, and uh, doing a whole like a basically a year off and having all the time in the world to do this trip, like it gives you a lot of flexibility. Um, you can camp and you can cook and it gives you a lot of ability to do um, just wild camping. And my monthly budget was 1500, but if, if I take away all the uh, shipping costs for the motorbikes and like permitting and whatnot, Monthly cost is like less than a thousand dollars, even at the pace I was going at. Like it was like next to nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I if I go if I travel even slower, um then that cost would be down even further because now you have less fuel and you know, less wear and tear and mm-hmm. less like oil changes and whatnot. Like the slower you travel, the less cost it costs for for me. So but you know that was that was one of the main re- two two of the main reasons that I have the ability to do it and then of course the secondary reason is you know I always wanted to do a long trip. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Now your uh your website I think it's called breakthecycle.com or something. Mm-hmm. Um, break the cycles. How, break the cycles. Thank you. Yes. Um where did you come up with that name?
1: Uh a friend of mine uh we were talking about it. Um about about what this was like so many years ago it was it was kind of like a we were we were having a conversation, and this friend of mine was like into marketing she's like she's in marketing uh industry, and she's like, Oh, you could do break the cycles and at that time, I was like, yeah yeah, whatever who cares and um I was like, yeah, it's catchy, but who cares but later on um I kind of found the directions for kind of like my motivation to kind of my motivation to help other people realize that they can change what they want to just do what they want to do and change their cards as as if you will, like they can do whatever they wish to do. And the world is out there as long as they have to break the cycles of what they're doing right now. So I was like, Oh, Hey, I remember that one thing that my one friend told me, that's great. Let me use that. So then that that become uh, my handle, break the cycle, and then I couldn't get break the cycle because apparently everybody used that, so they ended up break, using break the cycles.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now, does that um, does that website get updated every time you want a trip? It looked like there were multiple trips in there um, when I was checking it out. Um, is it still something you plan on continuing to update or are you kind of? Yeah. yeah. So
1: currently the the update is, so I haven't really gone through uh, all my um, travel stuff yet from the whole year. Uh, There is a, uh, I would say there is a bit of fear of me editing the content for my Alaska to Argentina trip. Because I feel like I'm gonna get really depressed.
0: Because <laughs> so, you miss it, right?
1: <laughs> yes. No. And I, I look at the photo. And I'm like, oh man, <laughs> come on, <laughs> get me out of here, right? Yeah. And um, so, there's, so, so there's that. But I, I've, I've changed the site up, the the format of the site up a little bit. So I'm, uh, I work at my uh, brother's shop. Uh, he has an automotive shop in the front. I work on bikes for him in the shop as a second you know second job for you know during the covet time because i and schools are all closed so have, i have a lot of time on my hands so i was uh, working on people's bikes and i also you know restored a sv650 uh 2007 and now i'm currently finished building my 1978 bmw r80 7 Fully custom, everything's you know. I, I, I did it myself um, with some help from you know welding from some friends and like painting from from a, from a shop. But everything else, um, I'm doing it myself. So that kind of is like the thing that I will update recently about like the build and like where it's going. And um, sometime in the near future, I will finish updating my the world trip and yeah any any other trip i make i typically do some photography some videography with the drone um and i find that to be more i don't know i find that to be more fulfilling for the trip and you can look back and have all these content and be able to relive the moment. Um, which is ironic because i'm kind of like terrified of looking at reliving the moments right now
0: yeah I uh, I love photos, um, and so I really enjoyed looking through the the pictures that were on your site, as well as reading through what you'd written. And when I got to the end, I thought there'd be another page, and I was like, "Did I miss it? Where, where's the rest? You know." And so I'm excited for you to update it, even if you're a little bit um, <laughs> uh, nervous about you know getting depressed looking at all the photos hey, and
1: such. But, but um, I, have, I have so much content. And I did my so I, I actually lost a lot of content, and good thing that I post most of the content up in um, up on Facebook and in Instagram along the way. But I got my phone stolen when I was in Colombia. Oh, and because the internet is kind of very spotty when you're traveling, and especially you go into these really small towns, the, the internet is just I don't know. I wouldn't say it's non-existent, but it's just it's it's not very uh, stable. So, like, I actually turned off my iCloud update because it was crashing all the time. And then I lost my phone mm. and then nothing was updated. And I was just, I was so blown. That was, that was, that was so painful. I mean, granted, I have photos from my own memory, but the things that you upload, the quality is just so much less than what the the original photo, you know. Yeah. So... Yeah. So that was, that was rough. That was, that was a, uh, that was a tough break. Um, maybe I'll just do it again and then take new photos. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This
0: this time you got to have like one phone that you actually use and then one bait phone.
1: Oh, I do. I had two phones. Oh really? You had one like specifically for someone to steal? No, there was, it was my burner phone for data. So I had a Google Fi plan on a cheap phone. So I figured out i would use that phone on a regular basis when I'm past the border. And then my iPhone at the time was like my main point and shoot mm-hmm. and I was using it as a point and shoot and somebody swiped it. Oh, oh what it was in your hand? No, 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 it was, oh. I, it was in my pocket zipped up, but they came by and then unzipped it and pulled it. I was in a salsa festival and I saw the guy, but then they disappeared in the crowd. There's no way you'll catch them. And then if you try to run after them, there's not only going to be one, you know, and they may trip you. They might do something to you and whatnot. So like, it's just once they, unless you grab them while they're grabbing your stuff, you, you're kind of, you know, you're not, you're out of luck. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And uh, that kind of sucked, but a good thing that I had, Uh, the drone footage, I have the GoPro footages and, and I still, I also have, um, camera footages. Uh, my girlfriend has a DSLR. So we, I still had a ton of other resources and I lost only the stuff on my phone, but that was a majority of the quick point and shoot. And I got some amazing photos, even with that, um, even with that camera. So it was kind yeah. of disappointing. Oh, me too. Now yeah. <laughs> there was the, the worst one that I've always I, I wanted so bad was the video of the uh, of the I have it on my uh, YouTube uh, one of my one of the videos I uploaded, but I was on the stall ride so. So for the, for the, for the, for the listener that don't know what StarRide is, StarRide is one of the, the main ship that takes you from Panama to Colombia. It's a sailboat. So then there's also uh, there's also another company, but StarRide is one of the most popular one. So when I was on the StarRide, it was one morning that we woke up uh, and the, the boat's moving like relatively slowly. And uh, there was just dolphins swimming with the boat, there was like a there was a school of them all next to next to the boat swimming, and I was like taking videos of that, and I used it in my one of my videos, but wow. it's gone now. I can't I can't use that for anything else. It's it's gone. It's just it's only in that video, and that's that's it.
0: So as you were going, um, you know, from Alaska through Central America into South America. Uh, how was the crime and the reason I ask is that I have a buddy who lives a couple of buddies who live part-time in Nicaragua uh, one of them basically lives there full-time he just goes to Costa Rica when his visa's up for a few days and comes back in but um anyway he my one buddy who lives there most of the time was considering coming back to the U.S. and buying like a KTM and then riding it back down to Nicaragua but all of the people that um who are kind of expats and who live down in Nicaragua who are American and were telling him not to do it because it's just so dangerous to drive a motorcycle through Central America. But then I'm hearing your story, and besides having your phone stolen, you've yet to say anything negative about Central America. Central and America, is South America, I know, but. Um,
1: yeah, Central America is. I don't know. Um, I think the situation will differ and you have to. So when I got down into Mexico, so I, I pretty much travel almost predominantly solo through, Alaska, uh, through Canada and Alaska. And then I rode with some few buddies like, that I met on the road for a couple weeks, but predominantly solo riding the entire way. And then when I got down to Mexico, I hooked up with a bunch of guys from Colorado. And we just met on Instagram. And then when I got down to southern Mexico, I met up with Another buddy of mine that I met uh, who bought my other DR before I left and we were riding together and then another friend of ours joins and every time we cross the border or near the border, we made sure that we were together, so that we can keep an eye on each other's stuff when we're crossing the border. Uh, and that's, that's very important. Um, I think there are certain things to be cautious about. Um, and. Interesting enough, I have other friends that have went after me, and they had very, very uh, different stories than I did. Like they got into a lot of hassle with the police or people extorting them and stuff. I didn't get any of that. Like, didn't have really any issues uh, other than being getting my phone stolen. And I think one time uh, in Peru, one cop like pulled us over because my headlight blew out and then he tried to extort some money from me. And then he was like, oh, it's gonna X, X, Y, Z. Z." we're like, yeah, give me a break, get out of here. And then we ended up getting like 20 bucks and then like went on our way, but like he was, just... but we were in a really bad location and he knew that it was in a really bad location and he knew that it was getting dark. So I either pay him or, you know, nonsense with him for a long time and I end up, you know, putting myself in in, in, in a dangerous position, but. Most of the time, if you ride the back roads, like, it's not really that big of a deal. The one time that I got harassed by cop is when I came back out on the Pan American Highway. Mm-hmm. I typically don't ride the highway. Uh, it's always on the back roads. So, like, you barely see anybody anyways. Uh, Southern Mexico was uh, really extreme poverty and it's kind of sketchy um, just because everybody's all the villagers out on the road with machetes and then they block the road off and you have to give them a dollar or two to pass. And then they, and then you go on the toll roads and they take over the toll roads and then you have to pay them the toll to pass. So it's kind of like, eh, it's, it's, it's all a bit of, uh, it's, it's all a bit of silliness. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really run into any issues at all. Um, no, no real issues at least. And I know that's, like, not everybody's story. Uh, there's a few hot spots where people say don't go. And, you know, you just look it up online before you you uh, head out. And I don't I didn't really plan, like, anything more than, like, you know, three, four days in advance of where I'm going to be. So, like, every three, four days you take a look at where you're going to go and then that's it. You know, it's not like you have this whole thing mapped out and, like, oh, I'm going to go this spot. No, you just, like – you wing it and then there's like there you're like okay maybe I'll go here and I'll go there and I'll just you know you just wing it and if you're riding with somebody and they want to go somewhere and you've never been there you're like okay let's go check it out so yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah Nicaragua was actually one of uh one of my favorites
0: I love Nicaragua
1: yeah <laughs> absolutely one of my favorites have you been to Telica? no
0: but I did go to um I saw that you were in Lyon you know huh? you're in Lyon
1: uh-huh.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love Lyon. Um, we went to Granada. Uh-huh. Uh,
1: um
0: yeah. We didn't get to Omotepe. I would have liked to have gone, but that would have been fun. But we're so what's the what's the place that you enjoyed that you're asking me about?
1: Volcan Telica is a volcano. It's different it's from Omotepe volcano. then?
0: Huh? Is it different from Omotepe then? Uh-huh. Okay.
1: It, it's back roads. 100 percent You got Deep ruds, sand, gravel, mud, all the way to the top, like 35, 40 miles. I rode for like six hours. I got there like at, at, at like 10 o'clock at night. It was, it was so bad. And uh, there's a bat cave up there. I had a video uploaded on, on Facebook, but it literally is like Batman's cave. Like there's wow. like 10,000 bats fly out all over the place and the volcano is you walk up the side of the volcano there's no nothing like there's no protection nothing you just walk straight up to it and you can walk straight up to the side of it it was the most exhilarating experience ever and but the road going up was terribly rough and most many times in many locations they were single track and then you have like a little bit get wider and then you have like cars coming down the other way, like small cars. And then like, you try to squeeze by and like, Oh my goodness. It was, it was a hot mess, it a hot mess. <laughs> yeah. but it was one of the best rides ever. One of the best, yeah. One of the best rides and one of the best experiences, um, just because it was so, it's so raw and it's so, um, untouched because even even when you go to a lot of these places, you could just hit the tourist attractions. And I find that when you hit the tourist attraction, one, it gets really expensive really quickly. And two, like they have a lot of rules at these tourist attractions. Right. So we went to Vulcan Telecom, we just, you know, sent our drones up. I mean, you're not supposed to, but there's nobody around for like miles and miles. <laughs> Yeah. So like the, these, all these silly rules of, of like, oh, you, but it, it's all, it's all for, it's all for making money. Um, they tell you, oh, you got to pay like, you know, 500 bucks to to have, you know, to record stuff or something. It's just, oh wow. Yeah. It's, it's silliness. I mean, it was the same thing in Guatemala too at uh, uh, Simuc Champagne, beautiful place, but it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit silly, but a lot of the back road stuff and like places that people haven't been to it's very undeveloped, but the experience is, is, extraordinary because you just you can't get that with the the more touristy. Because uh, I we went to I went to another uh, volcano. Let me see if I can't find this real quick. But I went to another volcano afterwards, and um, and it was not. It it was it was commercialized. So mm-hmm. there was no um let me see which one that was. It was it was the it a popular one.
0: In the if it's in the uh if it's on like an island, then that's Omotepe. Um I, was,
1: I think it was Managua. Was there one there? It uh-huh. was one of the big ones.
0: Yeah, so I mean the, the most popular one out there is ometepe. And it's the most touristy one i think it's got water around it and stuff and um it's just super super popular for people to go to uh, yeah i don't
1: remember it's, it's been it's been two years <laughs> yeah
0: yeah I, I only i was just there in november so that's the only reason I, I remember that particular volcano but um yeah i was staying in esteli which is um kind of small you know it's really just like a cigar town so the whole thing revolves around the cigar industry basically. And the only people who go there who are American are pretty much in the cigar industry, you know? Um, And it's not like a lot of places I've traveled before where a significant number of people speak English. Like everyone out there is just like, you know, half of them have never seen American before probably.
1: Yeah. And it is a lot cheaper in Nicaragua Especially, especially with the travel ban that the U.S. put on them a while back, it it really like really kind of wrecked their uh, tourism business. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, it's a really nice place. Uh, it's one of the ones I enjoy the most. Uh, I find Costa Rica and like down in Panama become more and more U.S. like, and it, and the prices
0: reflect. Well, exactly. So it's it's funny you say that I was just talking to my girlfriend um, about we are always kind of talking about different things and, and she wants to leave Arizona um, and she'd love to li- live, leave the U S and kind of go live somewhere else. And I was showing her my buddy's Instagram post where he was like fully furnished apartment, ocean view $700 a month. And it's like three or four bedrooms or five bedrooms or something like that. And <laughs> I was kind of showing her that. And uh, I told her previously how cheap Nicaragua was. I mean, people talk about Costa Rica being so beautiful and everything. And and I've never been to Costa Rica personally, but a lot of my friends who I was hanging out with in Nicaragua were like, don't go to Costa Rica. Nicaragua is just as beautiful and like 10 times cheaper, you know? And uh, anyway, anyway, I was reading an article probably five, 10 years ago about people retiring U S folks retiring overseas. And even back then they were saying Panama and Costa Rica were getting too touristy, and it used to be a really great place for americans to retire and do so cheaply and safely and then they're like it's it's getting too there's too many americans now there's too much money flowing and it's getting more and more expensive and at this point you know it's not really worth it unless you just want to live somewhere else it's not really worth it to go down there for no
1: panama's very expensive yeah panama's very expensive um and people know that you have money mhm and uh and they know you're american so Costa Rica's on the way there. uh we had some friends that that that's from there, and then uh, we visited them and yeah, it's just it's getting it's getting really expensive over there yeah <laughs> yeah, at least when I went through it was it was it was not it was one of the more expensive South American countries. Nothing's going to be Chile though, but everything else you know Chile is that expensive Oh my goodness, Chile is. Probably more expensive than the U.S. Why? It's very, it's very, very well. Like in the cities and stuff, it's it's very, very, very well manicured, and it's very, very developed. Um, they have, like in in Santiago, they have like all the American stores. They have Lush. They have all these like big box stores, and the city streets are super clean, like spotless. And they have like fantastic like um street graffiti art under uh, under path walking under path and stuff. It's very, very well manicured city in in, in the good parts at least. Uh there, there's some you know not as good parts like all big cities, but uh in the in, in the majority of the parts of the city, the infrastructure is well developed, the roads are are clean, it's just it's nice. And I believe Chileans don't need visa uh come to the u.s wow yeah it's very very expensive and it's very developed so if you can survive down there and you're doing well down there there's no reason why you're trying to come to the u.s i guess
0: so let me ask you do you know what their industry is out there is it uh produce is it uh wool meat like what's what do they produce i actually
1: don't know hmm.
0: i'll have to I look it up know. i'm curious now
1: they have a, I know that when I rode when I when I rode through, at least in, in, in the northern areas where the uh, Atacama Desert is, there's a lot of mining. So oh. they have tons of mining because I camped out in a lot of like abandoned uh you know, coal mine areas. And like it's just a whole entire strip coming up and down um from the desert area is just all mining places that they they've mined and, and like abandoned. And then you just kind of ditch, duck into the ditch in the back, and then set up your tent. Nobody will know you're there. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so
0: you mentioned Nicaragua was one of your favorite places. If you had to pick one as the absolute favorite country, which country would you say is the best?
1: I was. It it's going to be a toss up between Colombia and Peru. Mm-hmm. I think I can definitely like live. Hmm, and like enjoy Colombia if I was to stay there. But I would say that Peru's, like the roads in Peru and the motorcycling in Peru is, it's hard to beat. Yeah. Like the, mountain, the mountains and then mm-hmm. the, the riding in the mountain is it, really hard to beat. You're not gonna get the same kind of like, it, you're not gonna get the same kind of riding in in Colombia. Just that the whole Andes Mountains mountain range in Peru is absolutely gorgeous, absolutely phenomenal. Um but Colombia has better uh you know beaches, ocean you know, like ocean fronts, like they they they're much more much more cleaner than Peru. Like Peru is one of the dirtiest places I've ever been. Hmm. Like you come down the uh you come down the Pan American Highway, you see trash is flying across the freeway like like nonstop. Wow. Like people just throw trash everywhere, and then you get to like the ocean side It's just littered with trash. Like and their cities are super dirty. Super, super dirty. And there's like this, it's really weird because when you get to like Cusco where the that's basically like the entry point to buy the tickets for Machu Picchu, it's like the, the town before you go to Machu Picchu.
0: Mm-hmm. Like the
1: big town that you stock everything up and then you go right to Machu Picchu. Um, you cross a certain line where the U.S. Embassy is and on the other side and it's like clean, manicured. And then you go to the other side of that line, it's like super dirty. It's like like the storefront wall is like dirty, and then you go to the other side; it's like super clean, as if though you enter like a tourist area, which you did. You enter like a tourist portal, and everything is nice and clean, and like you know, as you would feel, I would say, you as you would feel comfortable, as though you came to an a, a, like a like a developed uh, city area where it's like well manicured, and mm-hmm. the contrast is 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 quite quite interesting
0: I think um, obviously I've not been um, there but my girlfriend's from Juarez she's from Mexico Mm -hmm. and um, it's something somewhat similar at least in my mind I'm imagining it's similar to when you're in El Paso and then you cross over into Juarez Um, you know on one side you know El Paso is not a super clean city but you know it's it's pretty modern and it's a you know developed city and then you go into Juarez and you know, especially the deeper you go in, it's, there's, there's like buildings that have just collapsed and no one's doing anything with them. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's like lane lines. Why do you need any lane paint? You know, you just pick whatever lane you want. <laughs> I mean, it's the same way in Nicaragua, right? I mean, it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's like everything's a suggestion out there.
1: Um, <laughs> especially row order is completely a total suggestion. Yeah. And it just, ride and drive however you want and the stoplights a suggestion for you to pause or not (laughs) have you
0: now have you been to london at all yes okay because for me i thought london was one of the dirtiest developed cities i've ever been in um i was i like to walk neighborhoods when i travel and so i was just walking neighborhood after neighborhood not just touristy stuff like not just going to big Ben and all that kind of stuff like walking all over and So often I'd walk by something and like, they have those stoops, you know, it's like you pass a stoop and the other end, there's just like piles of garbage. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is the UK. Why am I finding piles of garbage as I'm walking down neighborhoods? And some of like the, um, the lower floors where they've got a window with like a little cubby hole thing cut out in the ground. So some light still gets into those bottom uh, floors. People would (laughs) fill those things with garbage.
1: And it never gets cleaned up.
0: No. And I'm like, so whoever has that window down there, whenever you look out the window, all you're seeing is garbage lined up against imagine your window. The
1: smell.
0: Right? So that was the most shocking place I've ever been as far as dirty cities. Um, not that it's the only dirty city I've been to, but it was just kind of the most stark. So I couldn't imagine going somewhere where it's even worse than that. Uh, you know, I, luckily knock on wood, I've never been anywhere where garbage was blown across the road. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Peru is pretty bad. They're known for they're known for uh, the the lack of like eco friendliness. And then, like, you kind of ride through these places, and you're like, "Yeah, I want to save the ocean." And you go down there, you're like, "Well, where are these trashes that these people are throwing down here going? Well, they're gonna end up coming here too. It's the ocean. Yeah, is this gonna be blown all over the place? And you know, you can do all the preservation here, and all that trash." Is like they're 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 not doing anything there, so it's, it's just going to come all the way over to us, anyways. It's 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 quite the it's it's quite terrifying. I mean, in Mexico, um, in uh, I don't know if you have the experience in in like Tijuana, the trash is terrible too.
0: No, so I haven't been to Tijuana. I used to live in California, um, but I've never actually gone down to Tijuana. I've done. Rocky Point it's called out here it's um two or three hours to the beach from Phoenix Arizona and I've done Juarez a few times but other than that those are my my typical Mexico experiences because number one Rocky Point's close to Arizona
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, my girlfriend's family a bunch of them, a bunch of them are in Juarez so typically if we go to Mexico we're going to one of those two places so and they're both fairly close to the border you know but not Tijuana
1: <laughs> Tijuana is rough I stayed there for a week, and it was uh I think I was very lucky that my bike didn't get touched <laughs> <laughs> every time I left, I put a lock on it, I put a cover on it I put two locks on it i have I have the uh the uh, what's it called the rotor lock and then I have a um I have a cable lock as well. I tie the wheels together and I lock the rotor and I put the cover on it. Oh, good. I mean, that's that's the best you can do, right? I mean, if yeah, exactly. You make it really un- inconvenient for other people. It's just
0: yeah. I mean, if they're dead set on your bike, they're going to get it. But a lot of times, at least in the U.S., they talk about most theft is crime of opportunity. Yes. You know, so they're looking for the easiest target that's going to make them the most money as fast as possible. Right. You know. So yeah.
1: If they have a really high chance of getting caught, that's very dangerous because you know grand theft auto and all. So you actually go to prison for it. So, you know, they typically, they typically look for things that they can, you can grab real quick and the chance of getting caught is very low.
0: Well, I'm glad you had a good experience or at least the least bad experience you can have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It it, it really wasn't bad. I mean, there was a, there was a, there was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that you really can't like uh, plan along the way. You just kind of, you kind of just wing it. Um, but that those are, those are some of the the most the most fun and the most exciting. Yeah.
0: So now we have talked about your sort of favorite place to ride and your favorite place to sort of hang out. What would be your least favorite place if you could skip that country the next time you did this? If you do it again, which country would that be?
1: Skip the country? Like
0: if you could just be like, I don't ever want to go there again. If I could just skip it, <laughs> I'll do it.
1: See, interesting enough. It'll probably be Costa Rica and Panama. Yeah, even yeah. Panama. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: I mean, it's just it wasn't very, it wasn't, it wasn't very raw for me. Like it wasn't like the the motorcycling experience. It's great to go to the port and then like you know go from Panama to Colombia. I think it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, riding the boat, riding the sailboat across, and I would love to do that again. But as far as like the riding experience, mm-hmm. I find it to be kind of meh. Uh, a lot of the countries like uh, Guatemala and like El Salvador, like they have fantastic riding and it's really, really undeveloped and really sketchy in a whole lot of places. And they, those places were absolutely amazing. So if I were to go back, the idea is like I want to explore and go out and see these places. Um, So I I would not if if I could like skip Costa Rica and then blast through Panama and get on the stall ride. I'm okay with that. And of course, like the 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 other the other big place that I, I really didn't the other place that I really had didn't really enjoy the ride, I wouldn't say didn't really enjoy the ride but it was very long was cutting across Canada. <laughs> that was like, you thought the planes in the US were bad. Wow. When you get to the Canadian planes, it, the map does not do itself justice. Like you are on there forever. Like, seems like, it seems like the the, you just keep riding and riding and then like, hours and hours and hours and hours and then like you stop and you do that for a whole week and you're like, well, I'm still not in Alaska yet. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, And I'm clocking like maybe like sometimes 500, sometimes like most of the time about 450 miles, uh, riding all day. Cause there's nothing, not, not much around. And some days I do 600, some days I do 500 on a dual sport. I mean, that was rough, mm-hmm. but, um, and it's like you do that for day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. And like, I'm still not there yet. Like what the heck am I doing? Um, uh, but, but man, there, there's some really beautiful sceneries up there though. So I wouldn't say that would, that would be the worst for me. I would still think like uh, Costa Rica and Panama would be the ones I would, I, I would skip.
0: Well at the, at the bare minimum, at least Panama is small.
1: Yes. <laughs> both of both them are very small actually cutting across. Um, but both of them were, were uh, not that exciting. I mean, they were exciting when I was there. But if I think about it, like, I don't know what else I would go back for. Yeah, but in
0: comparison, right, now that you've done the whole trip and you've got so much more to relate it to, yeah. uh, it's going to be different. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, I get it. Yeah. So let's, let's go back in time a little bit. Um, how did you first start riding? What got you into
1: bikes? Um... So I've always said that I don't want to ride a motorcycle. It's too dangerous. Me too. Always. <laughs> we had that in common. Very cool. And uh, so this is my girlfriend of, my ex-girlfriend of like, we, we were together for six years. And, it, and she was just, she was always like super curious of everything. And then she always wanted to like ride motorcycles or do something like that um and I was like no no we're not doing that we're not doing that I mean there there was also a bit of a protective thing uh with me too because she was kind of like you know spacey and I was like yo that's just just a recipe for disaster like you, you know she's not like focus focus and and I was like that's just a recipe for disaster you you're away one second the next thing you know you're off the road so like there was a there was a bit of like protectiveness for me too so I had like this like resistant to tell her no so <clears throat> after um after we split up I was like well let me try it
0: <laughs> so she put the bug in your head and yes you said, no 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 and then as soon as she was gone you were like okay maybe I will actually hop yeah, exactly.
1: okay so then I started actually I had a I had a great mentor uh he's he's a friend of mine and the reason why like she wanted to do motorcycling is because we're friends we were we were we were friends with uh my mentor my motorcycle mentor and um and he lives like two blocks down the road from me and i will always see him normally and we chit chat and he's always on his bike so when i wanted to start motorcycling you know i asked him if he could teach me and that was probably the most that was probably the most useful and relevant experience for me, like as far as like staying with motorcycling and as far as like learning to travel on bikes and everything, because I see so many people come out of like MSF course they buy their bike and they're like, okay, where do I go? Mm -hmm. And then they, they they ride to their Starbucks or they ride to wherever they're going to go like short distance trip. And, you know, it never progressed more than that. And over the years, you know, with enough, you know, very, very little riding, the oftentimes the bike just sits there and eventually they sell it or or something similar to that extent. And then that that kind of story is very prevalent. Um, And so my mentor did 3,000 miles with me. So I wasn't allowed to ride by myself. Uh, I had to ride with him uh, for the first 3,000 miles um I got an old '83 uh, R80RT, and I took the fairings off because the fairing looked ugly. And I did 3,000 miles on that bike, and then, and then I sold it right afterwards. And I regret it ever since. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I got I got a uh, I got this I got that bike, the 2001 R1100S, and then I started riding that, and then I did my cross country trip on that. But it was, it was a progression. It was like, you know, we start, we do 20, 30 miles and then we do 40, 50 miles and then we do a hundred miles and then we do 200, 300 miles. And then we rode down the deal scab and back. Um, and then, and then I've been down the deal scab almost every year with different bikes. Uh, it's, it's relatively close. It's only like 600 and like 50 miles from here. Mm-hmm. So it's it's relatively close. I mean, easy two day riding casually, you'll get there. So it's not it's not exactly like a, you got a long weekend. You can make it there and back. So sure. Uh, and if and if you take eighty one, you can blast it back in one day if you really wanted to. Um, uh, but you know that's that's how I got introduced into riding. And you know it's it's everything from how often you should stop, and how to look for how to look for places to stop how to watch out for things on the road and how to prepare your mind for that kind of, you know, journey and how to enjoy yourself on the road. And like all these little things really, really like made my motorcycling experience like that much more um, valuable. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So have you ever taken any formal courses or um, you pretty much just rely on your mentor right now or.
1: Uh, actually he he had, he, he hasn't been teaching me for a long time. I mean, like after after that first two to three years, uh, you know, I've been writing on my own quite a bit. Uh, and then, of course, I took my trip and whatnot. Um, but I, the only formal course I did was the MSF course. And, you know, you also learn from videos and whatnot. But I haven't gone to other courses where, like, you know, you pay to learn particular skills.
0: Yeah, I um, you know I I just started riding in 2019 for the first time. My my buddy taught me in Nicaragua. Uh, he had this little like 125 cc Skyler. He said it was, and it was a kickstart. You know, and he just like I, I've driven a stick shift car before, right? So the whole changing gears thing wasn't anything new um so once he explained it i was kind of ripping around this field right next to the house we were staying at for a while and i was just in love i mean i was like you i always said i'm never riding a bike that's way too dangerous you know because i'll do something dangerous as long as the um corresponding fun outweighs it you know it's always a scale in my mind it's like if it's really fun and also really dangerous i might give it a try if i can find (laughs) some way to mitigate mitigate the danger right in right. my mind motorcycles always it's like ah they look cool but I don't you know I don't want to get squished by a car so I think I'll just keep my stupidity shield around me and drive my truck um, but uh, yeah the whole Nicaragua thing like getting on a bike for the first time had me hooked and in any case flash forward I was thinking about buying a bike the whole time I got back and saying no you don't need a bike it's a waste of money but it's gonna be so much fun But it's a waste of money because I do accounting as my day job and some of to think about money uh, and I was like, ah, you can afford a bike. I'm like, no, nah, I shouldn't get a bike. Anyway, ended up wanting to get a bike. So I took the MSF course. And it was amazing to me how many people had been riding daily that came into this course. And were still struggling with these low speed drills. Now, yeah. granted, like they can ride, right? They're not, you know, not gonna probably die going to and from Starbucks uh, because they've been doing it for years. Like one guy even commuted to work all the time on his bike. But it's amazing to see people and how the, the skills that you don't practice never develop, right? So things like emergency braking. These folks are on the road all the time and their emergency braking is way longer than it should be.
1: Right. (laughs) So you find, so like you kind of adapt other ways around your shortcomings and then you kind of get into these bad habits that you do. Yes. Yeah.
0: So for me, it was like, I'm glad I started with the MSF because what I do now basically is every time I ride my bike, because I I just got my bike in April um, of 2020. And Mm -hmm. so every time I go out now, I do some low speed stuff either before my ride or after my ride. So it's like I'm constantly building practice. You know, and one of the things I like to practice a lot is the emergency braking because again, watching all these these guys and girls who've been riding daily riding and were having trouble with emergency braking was telling me this doesn't come natural just because you're riding the bike a lot. You know, unless you're practicing braking suddenly, it doesn't mean you're gonna be good. So yeah, that's kind of now now I'm all about it. I got this Moto Jitsu book. Like you see my hat here. Yeah. I bought the Moto Jitsu book and they've got all these drills and they, ha- I bought cones and there's like a little measuring stick and I get everything set up and I go and I practice. And you practice, yes. Yeah, because it's like, you know, uh, this guy here, his, his nickname's Fast Eddie who does these courses. And he was like, you know, you can always upgrade the hardware, but it's not going to make you a better writer. But upgrading, right. upgrading your software will make you a better writer on any hardware that you're on.
1: Yeah, the, those uh, those low speed maneuvers and whatnot. It's it doesn't come up until you, until it comes up, and if you don't have regular practice where you have muscle memory, that's when you get into trouble. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's 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 invaluable to uh, continuously practice. Yeah.
0: Well. And you know, I'm I'm an overly cautious kind of guy, and like I said, like I'm willing to take risks as long as I can find some way to mitigate them. And I feel like practicing is a way to mitigate the risks.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. I think that's a good. I think that's a very good philosophy. I'm a very. uh, I I take a lot of risk, obviously. (laughs) I I see. Yeah. Um, As long as I feel like it's going to make my life more fulfilling or more interesting or different, um, I'm game for it. Yeah. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter how dangerous it is, as long as it's as long as I know that probably I won't like get like severely injured if I be careful. And then also at the same time that it will also enrich my life in a way that I have not you know, the or have a, a different perspective or view on things that I have not had before. And if that's, if those, if those things are in line, then
0: I'm good. That's, I mean, that's a great philosophy too. I think, uh, life's short, you know? Um, so I've seen on your blog, it looks like you've done, um, a lot of writing here in the U S have you done any writing over in Europe or Asia or Australia or anywhere outside sort of North and South America?
1: No. Um, so I have not. Um, and that's my next Big trip I want to do is from London to Beijing. And I want to wow. go through all those countries as well. I've visited most of let me see. I visited most of the European countries though. I've been to I've been to the UK, I've been to France, Spain, Germany, Italy, Austria, uh, Poland, and you know, and it's these little countries in here I can't remember. And I've been to the Netherlands, whatnot. So I've been to most of uh, Western Europe, um, and I can't wait to go out there and, and like have a bike so I can ride. Um, I was born in Taiwan, and I've, and I've been to China uh, as well. So I can't. I want to ride, you know, in China as well. But you know, these are all like dreams, it has to happen. And I got a buddy in Australia as well, so I really want to. Um, I really
0: want to go there and, uh, and ride over there as well. Yeah. I just saw a video of a guy riding in Australia and there was a gigantic spider floating or something and it smacked him right in the face, crawled down like this. And he was like hopping off his bike, trying to get this giant spider off of him. And he was like, welcome to riding in Australia. <laughs> Dad.
1: Maybe I'll pass <laughs> I have all kinds of, I have all kinds of allergies man so i get if i get I actually got stung by uh, two yellow jackets on my trip, and I actually got stung by a yellow jacket the uh, several years ahead as well and i and it flew into my sleeve while I'm riding, so then you try to get rid of it and then it stings you obviously, and then you you know hurriedly move over try to not drop your bike because you're in like in a lot of pain. <laughs> And then, so that stung, that, that sting swelled up to about the size of my fist. oh, And then it kind of went away after about a week. And then another week went by and it went down a little bit more. And then I had a full body reaction. Oh, I got no. to get steroids for two weeks. Wow. So on the road, I got stung twice by yellow jacket once up in uh, Canada, and then another time uh, in uh, Colombia. And uh, I learned that you take the baking soda, and you cauterize the wound with the baking soda right away, and it'll burn, and it'll it'll pull the uh, venom out wow. of, of of your skin, and it, it'll it'll burn your skin a little bit, but at least I didn't have any generalized reaction afterwards. I didn't have any reactions to it, but I mean, having a full body reaction, needing steroids, it's, it's rough.
0: It sounds like it. Yeah. 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 The good thing you didn't have that happen on such a long trip. That would have been even more miserable. Oh yeah.
1: That, 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 that would have been, I mean, actually in South America it might not be because you can buy steroids and basically no. you can, you can buy, you can not, not like, you can buy the uh, uh, hydrocortisone steroid like very easily in any of the pharmacies for allergic reactions. Here you need like all kinds of prescriptions and like get get checked like five times by doctors and they write you something. Down there you just go and you're like, ah, oh, I have an allergic reaction, I want some steroids. Yeah.
0: yeah. So you mentioned that you were born in Taiwan. Yeah. Um, when did you come to the US? Uh,
1: I went to Brazil first. Oh, okay. And then stayed there for two years and then, uh, and then came to the US when I was nine.
0: Okay, so you probably don't have as much of an impression of what the process was like to immigrate into the U.S. as your parents might have. Did your parents come with
1: you, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll take um. It. Yeah. So immigration process. I mean, yes and no. Um, I think I, I think that I beaten this horse to death with uh, with my novel that I wrote. It's about it's about my immigration experience.
0: That was coming um, up next.
1: <laughs> so, so that, so that, so the novel is about my immigration experience and growing up in in the, in the states. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I think I think my experience will be dramatically different if I was like in California or out west. Um, but like, D.C. area was at least at least at the time it was when it, when I, in in the uh, in the Maryland area at the time, like the Asian population is very 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 low. Uh, I think the school that I went to at the time had like, the high school had like two or three Asians. I,
0: so why um, Maryland then and not Northern Virginia? Because at least when yeah, I was living in Northern Virginia, there's a huge Asian population
1: out there. Right, right, exactly, right. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. wow. like we, we were in Maryland and there was, and in the, the places that we were living, it was just the, the the population density was very low. Uh, there was areas where there was more Asian population, but we weren't we didn't live in that area. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was other places in Maryland that had a little more uh, density, but we weren't we weren't very close to it. Um, and yeah, but now now it's like super diverse here. I mean, I'm still in I'm working in the same school system that I I graduated from. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, now it's like very, very diverse.
0: That's good. I, um, I loved DC. The thing I loved about DC the most was how much diversity there was because with diversity comes a lot of different things, right? I mean, there comes a lot of good restaurants, a lot of interesting people and stories. um, And the people that you're working with, you know, I think the vibe is different when um, there's a lot of different types of people around. It seems like I just seemed to run better. Like I, when I worked at Booz Allen, um, it's probably still to this day, my favorite place that I've ever worked. And part of it was just the people were so great to work with. And mm-hmm. yeah, were, everything was just, I don't know. It's hard to explain, it, but if you if you move out to somewhere like Arizona, the diversity is much less. I mean, when my ex-wife and I first moved here, we stopped at this mall and we walked into the mall and we really stopped and paused and looked around and we just were shocked because it was just a sea of white people. <laughs> and we'd lived out in DC, I think six to eight years, something like that. And so we'd gotten used to the fact that you, you walk in places and there, are especially big crowded places. There's always just a sea of different people. And to come to Arizona, walk into this mall and just be like, what, where did we go? <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I, that's the one I love the weather here in Arizona. I mean, the heat kind of sucks for a couple months, yeah. uh, but the weather's fantastic. You're, you know, you're driving distance to the ocean, you're driving distance to mountains and snow. Um, I mean, basically anything you could want is just, you know, three to six hours away. Grand Canyon. Uh, Grand Canyon. Yeah. That's not, yeah. I, I think it's ugly, but you know, a lot of people <laughs> like it. I like, I like Canyonlands better. I see. I like, um, the painted desert better. Uh mm-hmm. huh yeah it's just I've never been. interesting never been it's well you know the picture of the grand canyon they make it seem so vivid right yeah. and it's all photoshop like yeah. you get there and it's always hazy and so all the colors look really muted and stuff and it just looks like a big hole but you go to the painted desert and you actually get to walk through these like hills of different color and you can see the layers of color and it's so uh-huh. bright and saturated you know all around you to me that's that's way better than than the grand canyon plus the grand canyon gets so packed with people in non-covid times um
1: but anyway
0: uh yes okay, another another point of uh
1: point of interest for me Add added it to my uh
0: <laughs> yeah it's my uh, map it's, it's nice it's kind of small especially compared to the grand canyon obviously right but um you know if it's already on your route you know or if it's not too much outside of the route that you're trying to take through arizona it's in my mind one of the thing's worth it uh to see Ooh. horseshoe bend is another one that's oh much, yeah, that's right right it's like um there's nothing but horseshoe bend to see right so you 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 get out there you go, you look, you're like, oh, that's Horseshoe Bend, and then you just have to go around and go back to your car because there's nothing else there. That's it. Nothing else. There's nothing else to see. It's just like all desert, you know, <laughs> the same desert you've been driving through to get there. It's like that's all it is. Just like, uh... <laughs> and at least when I went, they didn't have a really good path to get up there. So you're like you start off in the parking lot and then you're almost immediately climbing this hill of sand. And so your shoes are starting to fill with sand as you, as you go up and then Uh you get to the crest and it kind of like levels out and you get some more firm ground and you get over to the edge and it's more rocky. And then you look over and you're like, Oh, sweet. That's a river that turns. (laughs) And then you turn around and go back like that. That's it. Wow. Yeah. Arizona is still fun though. I think if, um, if you've never been before,
1: um I've been a long time ago uh back in uh, when I was a little kid my my dad and 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 uh, my mom and my brother we we did a cross country trip in a uh, wagon station wagon
0: Did you guys stop by Sedona?
1: No, we only stopped by the Grand Canyon and we went north. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, look—the
0: Grand Canyon is a must-see. If you've never yeah. seen it before, you gotta see it.
1: I've seen it. I really didn't like it as much as Canyonland. I like Canyonland. I—I don't know if you've been to Canyonland. I haven't been to Canyonland. No. So, so uh, Canyonland, and there's like White Rims Trail. You can ride mm-hmm. your motorcycle in the valley, wow. and you can keep out there. It's it's really cool. Um, so it's one of the things I wanted to do. I didn't I didn't get to do it when I saw it at one time. I actually saw people driving down on the trail. Because you can see, you can overlook all the canyons and you see people driving inside a canyon. Wow. It's really cool. Yeah. It's like a 100-mile loop. You can camp in there too. A
0: 100-mile loop, wow.
1: So, That's cool. Yeah, so uh, I've been wanting to move out west for a while. Um, what states are you I, looking at?
0: Huh?
1: What states are you looking at to move to? Um, basically, the cluster. New Mexico, Utah, Colorado in Arizona. Okay. And that's the class. I, I don't want to go to Cali because there's too many. Uh, I mean, I want to be able to access it, but it's just, it's a, it's too expensive, too expensive. And, and uh, the emission laws are ridiculous too. So oh, yeah. like, you can't, you can't do anything to your vehicles. Like, can't uh, touch so, it. Yeah. And then you have all these like extra canisters sitting in. There.
0: <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I I like Colorado. I've not done a lot of um, exploring in Colorado, but I've been out to Denver um, and kind of the Denver metropolitan area. And I thought it was kind of nice, but I don't know. I think um, I hate winter. I hate snow. It's like, I like to visit snow or see it in pictures, but I don't want to live in it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, that's why when I was looking for a place to go and, um, you know, if you're looking for places that don't have natural disasters either, you're pretty much limited to Arizona. If you don't want winter and you don't want natural disasters, Arizona is basically your only option. Uh, (laughs) But you have to be able to handle 120 degrees in the summer. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah.
1: It's dry heat. It's not that bad.
0: You know, dry heat makes a difference until about 105. And then once you're over 105, it doesn't matter. It's still hot. (laughs) (laughs) When you when you roll down your window and you get a blast of, like, oven heat, that's just miserable. I don't care where you're at. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. And we also have monsoon season. So during monsoon season, we get a lot of moisture. And we get the humidity uh, and the heat.
1: That's terrible. <laughs> but I'll take heat
0: over freezing any day. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Me too.
1: If I'm freezing, I feel like I just don't work. I just feel like rolling up, crawling up in bed and just not leaving.
0: Well, and I've never been that much of a morning person. And so when I lived out in D.C., um, I was living in this one apartment in Alexandria in particular, and we were in a cul-de-sac. But our cul-de-sac came right up against one of the main snow routes. And so they would plow us in.
1: Oh yeah! Every the-
0: single snowstorm, so we'd have to get up, and not only do I now have to dig my car out of the, I have to get up early, right? Even more early than usual, dig my car out. And then me and some other neighbors have to dig a route to the road. And then we've got to deal with this gigantic pile of snow that just blocked or our ice, way in. because now or they ice. packed it all in for Exactly. You. And we're, <laughs> we're like working together trying to smash this thing apart so we can get our cars out and go to work. You know, And to me, that was it. I was like, I am done with no, snow. It doesn't
1: snow here anymore. Really? I'm in the last like... Four or five years, like the, the worst we got was like an inch or two. Of course, I've left. <laughs> <laughs> it really doesn't snow here anymore. And I'm, I'm kind of somewhat disappointed because uh, my, you know, I usually go like snowboarding once, once a year when, when the, when the snowstorm snow is imp, imminent. And then I know the school's going to close and I leave before it hits. So I know the next day I'm not going to have work. Nice. So then I go snowboarding for like a day or two, and uh, it doesn't do that anymore. I haven't gone in like several years because there's just no, there's there's no snowstorm here anymore. Wow. Okay. It's got it's gotten really warm over the uh, for the uh, for the winters now.
0: (sighs) well, too late now. I already moved. When I was, I mean, you know, obviously Maryland and and Virginia are going to be a little bit different, but you know, it was never um like super snowy but we always at least what five six times a year we would have a heavy snow where um schools would shut down you know what i mean definitely not as bad as illinois i used to live in illinois too and that was freaking horrible uh, the snow far- oh yeah and i used to be a paper boy uh, out oh, there wow. and i remember one year i got up super early in the morning to go deliver papers and we were having kind of like a, almost a sleet storm, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I had a ski mask on and I'm walking my paper out. My mom was coming behind me too because it's so freaking cold out with the wind chill. And the ice is coming through my ski mask and like hitting me in the face hard enough to sting. And I'm out there, you know, throwing these stupid papers and I would go, we hit the end of the block and I'd go warm up in my mom's car and then get out and go do the other side of the block and then get back in and try to warm up for a minute. It, it was, yeah.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> Sounds terrible.
0: Oh yeah. My snow experiences have never, have not been good. Like I, I don't have those experiences that some kids have where they're like, Oh, we were in Aspen snowboarding. And, you know, <laughs> then my parents flew us to Switzerland and we were skiing. in yeah, the right. Alps, right. Mine, mine is like, my dad sent us outside to, to shovel snow. And I'm like, but dad, it's still snowing. And he's like, then you'll shovel it again in an hour. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yep. Sounds familiar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. So you mentioned that you are a school counselor.
1: Yeah. Or at
0: least you were. I don't know if you still are or not. Um. Yeah, I'm, I
1: still am. I work in high school
0: res- now. Okay. I was yeah, looking I was at your resume. It looks like you originally went to school for um for um,
1: uh, marketing and logistics.
0: Yeah, logistics. So my my girlfriend does logistics now. So. Um, I was really interested to see you went in and, and took logistics as part of your your course of study. But how did you end up going from logistics and marketing into counseling?
1: Well, I graduated and I worked for Johnson and Johnson Healthcare System. I sat in a cubicle. And the most exciting thing I sat in a cubicle in Piscataway, New Jersey. <laughs> Everyone loves Jersey. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> it's just outside of the the, the New York border, and um, the the most excitement I get was going to the warehouse maybe once a month. Beyond that is the TPS reports, and you know, <laughs> no, literally. So like that was like 2004, 2005 at that time, and uh, Office Space just came out, not, not, not too many. Uh, Office Space was what, a 2001 or 2002 movie? I, I thought remember. it
0: was 2001, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just came out, and then I watched this movie when I was up in New Jersey at work, and I was like, this is my life. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> I literally had three bosses came by and asked me about the same thing. Like, and I was sitting in my cubicle and I'm like, oh my God, I gotta get out. Like this is this is crazy. Like I can't do this. <laughs> so I came back and I and saw some real estate uh in the in the in the time in between and then the market crashed and then went back to school, got my master's in counseling and you know, and then right after I graduated, I got my job in the county and then been here since.
0: I think it's saying something when you will choose to deal with middle school and high school children rather than sit in a cubicle. Because to me, like, I'm not much of a kid person. Like, I like my niece, but anyone else's kids, I just, I don't have the patience for it, you know. So I would probably choose a cubicle over children. But you went the opposite route, huh?
1: (laughs) I I, I chose the interaction, really. I chose the interaction. I I wouldn't say I choose the. I mean, I really love working with the kids. um, But you know, it's, it takes a lot out of me working with a lot of these kids. So I wouldn't say that it's like, oh, hey, working with kids and, you know, like being patient is so, so great. It's, it it does take a lot out of you. But I I think the uh, interaction and the uh, watching people like being able to change their, change their cards, like, is really fulfilling in, in, in many ways. But you know the pay is really terrible as well. So,
0: <clears throat> yeah, but you know if they're going to pay you poorly, the you know they can at least give you a year off every four years to go do a exactly. want. <laughs> exactly to ride my
1: bike around the world. Exactly. <laughs> so that, you know and the insurance are good. So like you know you stay there for four years, you go tour around the world for a year, and then you come back. Yeah. Business as usual.
0: <laughs> so how long do you have two more years until your next four year um, period is up or
1: is it? Uh, no, three more years. So three more years. Oh. Including this year, because I, I did my trip two years ago. I know there was a year and then I did a year of work. And then this year will be my second year and I have two more years to do it, to do if I want to take another trip. But I'm honestly thinking about just uh, finding a comparable counseling job out West and move because wow. I've always wanted, I, I I love, I love the, uh, I love Utah, the Rockies, like it's just so beautiful out there. It really, it really is like God's country. Like it's like, eye porn everywhere, like everywhere you go, like the mountains and the, it's just so beautiful. I just can't deal with the regulations of Utah um that's fair enough
0: so my current company we've got our second largest office is in salt lake and um i've had to go out there occasionally for things and i remember the first time i went and we were in um, a restaurant and i don't know if you drink or not but i drink some not a lot but i drink and i'd ordered an old-fashioned and the the waitress was like do you want one ounce or two ounces and i'm like i don't know what you mean just an old fashioned's got an ounce and a half, typically. You know, mm. and you just make it like a normal old fa- old fashioned. And she was like, "No, they have to be served in either these little bottles that are pre-measured, um, and you know, like airplane bottles, or they have these like special dispensers, I guess that get like almost um, audited by the state to make sure that they dispense only an ounce exactly." What the heck? So. Yeah, and then I was talking to this girl who was driving Uber because I was going to a cigar shop out there and I didn't want to drive the rental car that the rest of my coworkers were going to be riding in too, you know? Um, So I was talking to her and I was like, oh, if you're a bartender, why are you Ubering? And she's like, I couldn't take it anymore. Like, it's such a pain in the ass to bartend out here in Utah um, that you don't get to make that much money either because it's just, they make it so difficult to to drink so anyway it, it's not the only thing but that was just the most striking part oh, of the whole really, situation that's, yeah that's
1: pretty extreme
0: i i'm like man it's like you step back in time and suddenly you know you're back in the 50s when you can't open on sundays and <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but me, okay. beautiful. i don't i don't i don't drink much uh, I i have, actually haven't drank much at all when i came back i used to drink wine all the time and I find myself going through phases, you know, it's like, sometimes
0: I'll be like, Oh, you know what? I really am enjoying these old fashions and I'll have old fashions for like a month where it's like almost every night I'll come home and have an old fashioned, And then I'll just get tired of like spending the money and and making the drinks. And then just go back to like my, uh, you know, this is San Pellegrino. (laughs) And then I won't drink for another six months or so, like, except on occasion. And then get into another hankering where it's like, I'll discover a new Scotch. Um mm-hmm. like when I first started drinking LaFroig, um, I was just in love because it's got this like really smoky flavor and I love smoky scotch. Um, and I was buying just like bottle after bottle of that stuff, and I probably went through two bottles a month, which for me is a lot. Um you know, but anyway, Utah is beautiful. I just uh I don't like nanny states, you know, that's why I don't want to live in oh, California. That's, that's fair. Yeah, it's
1: fair, yeah. So California, same thing.
0: Yeah, that's why I don't want to live in California either.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think California have more uh, more uh, restriction on my hobbies than than Utah. So (laughs) I'm not paying attention to those restrictions that doesn't really impact me. But yeah, definitely you you know you hit you hit California, you already know it's like uh, you
0: know, and it's sad because there's so much um, so much to do and there's so much awesome stuff in California but the regulations for me just ruin it. I would never want to own a house there. I mean, between the taxes and the fact that you can't touch your bike at all, yeah. you know, I mean. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So I have one other thing I really wanted to get to before we get too far off track, because um, when I was reading it, um, I really liked it. So I have this quote here and it was, the only meaningful relationships are built on generosity. And I saw that on your website, and I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, is that something that came from your father, or is that something that um, you've been thinking about over the years growing up, or do you, how do you think that came about?
1: I think, I I, I think it's mainly from my own personal experiences, mm-hmm. um, like when you when you give. And when you provide um, that, those, those kind of things go, go much further than 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 other other kind of interactions. Um, and if if you're the if you're the one that provides and you're the one that give um, that, and when and when and like likewise when you receive that from others, you find that connection to be very strong when people are being very generous with you and taking care of you or doing stuff for you that connection is is so strong like i especially on my trip with so many times like uh a a couch surf um but you know typically with couch surfing you know you go there and you do do uh you hang out socialize with the person and they, they show you around but actually one of my most meaningful uh interactions with um I met a guy on the overpass in california on on, on highway one coming down
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um this guy was uh riding a uh i want to say it was a it was a goal wing i don't remember very well uh the exact bike but i think he was riding a goal wing and uh he's like hey i live in socal and we started chatting on the over an uh, the overlook and then he's like hey Come on down uh, when you're in Southern California, hit me up, and uh, I'll take you off surfing. Wow! So when I got down to Southern California, and I was like, I was like, ah, right, whatever, might as well. I just messed with this guy, and uh, he's like, oh yeah, come, come, come out this time. We'll meet up. It was like middle of the night because he ended up working night shift, and uh, it was middle of the night, and it was really, really late. I want to say it was like 10 o'clock. And he's like, oh yeah, just ride with me. So we rode late at night through all, like around, around Southern California. And then he took me over to um, like, he, his, his parents had a house like on the beach. So we went over there and stayed there. And the next day he took me out with the board and showed me how to surf. Wow. And then like bought me breakfast, chit-chatted about my trip and was, and it was, it was funny because like, I was trying to pay for the breakfast cause I was like, man, this guy's like being like so generous with me, like, you know, teaching me how to serve and doing all the stuff for me and giving me a place to stay and whatnot. And, um, I was trying to pay. And then he was like, no, this is, and then he said the, he said the oddest thing, but it always stuck with me. He's like, no, 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 no. This, is from me to you. And that's it. I was like, okay, interesting. But it was so cool because I still keep in touch with them. Um, you know, we still definitely chat, but it was one of the, the most, most interesting experience I had, uh, which kind of like made me somewhat excited and motivated when I got down to El Salvador, I stayed at a surf camp for, for like a week. Wow. Cause, cause now I, I was like, Oh man, I'm really good. Cause you wake up and like, you know, six thirty, you go out there, and then you're on. You're you're like in the water, and then you do this whole morning thing, and you eat your breakfast. Man, that sensation is out of this world. Like you feel so alive. Um, I mean, I'm terrible at surfing, but man, just that, just <laughs> just going out there, that I'm, and then doing. But you know, those kind of like you know generosity that people provide you are like some of the most meaningful and then it, it, it makes you just as generous want to give back to others. And you believe in, you believe in like the, the best in people, you believe like there are people with like-minded attitudes in this world that you, you can, you can share these, you know, life things with them. And, and, you know, I, I've been doing my share of, you know, helping my friends with their bikes and whatnot giving back. And it's just a meaningful experience. When people give, you want to feel like you want to give back more. And that reciprocation becomes, you know, a very strong, you know, relationship. Yeah, that makes
0: sense. I and, mean, you know, it's always interesting to have a thought Uh, or an idea, and then it becomes totally different when you sort of experience it, right? I mean, it's like, as as much as you think that you can understand something by considering it and, um, you know, pondering it or whatever, I think experience is just, it can't be, um, can't be substituted, you know, no amount of theory can really substitute for actually experiencing things like that generosity right and the fact that it actually sparked a desire and you almost like planted a seed of generosity in you shows how much effect real experiences can have versus you know no matter how much anyone thinks that they're like a philosopher or whatever you got to get out there and experience things to really understand
1: them right Uh, it changes changes it Yeah, but but I, I also you know I feel I, I understand the power of just like, you know coming back settling down like it's definitely a, a total different mindset and I really like myself a whole lot more when I was on the road than I am when I'm here, you know, because yeah. you kind of settle back down to your old ways in a, in a in a way, you know everything becomes you know routine and when you're on the road you just you grow, you know and and, and I really miss that.
0: I feel like a lot of Things in life are use it or lose it, or, you know, like low speed skills. Just because I learn low speed skills, if I take two years and never practice them again, am I still going to be able to do those low speed skills two years from now at the same efficiency that I could before? No, right? I think generosity and, um, you know, patience, all these different things that people try to develop in themselves. Um, once you think you've reached the end and you stop practicing, <laughs> it starts to go away. You know, mm-hmm. at least that's been my experience. Too, right, right, right. You know? like,
1: yeah, no, for sure. sure,
0: I agree. Wow. Well, yeah. I'm excited, um, you know, I can't wait to see more of your trips. Hopefully you plan something. And first of all, I hope that you update your blog so I can see the rest of the trip because you left us on a cliffhanger where it was like, you know, you're getting good, getting good. And then it's like, you stopped. And I was like, I want the rest. I want the rest of the story. Now, luckily I got to talk to you, right? Um, But I'm also a photo person. I love photos. So I'm looking forward to seeing the pictures.
1: Oh, thank you. I I, I will get around to, uh, to editing the content and posting them soon enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's but I gotta okay. I got I gotta call the girlfriend. She's still in Colombia, so
0: is she? Yeah. Wow, that's good. Now is she Colombian or is she is she's, she's Colombia? Oh, okay.
1: So I met her on the road. So I got to Colombia. She was one of my hosts. And then I and then we got along. We she'd show me around for like three days and we got along got along real well. And then we're like I was like, Hey, oh, she doesn't speak a leg of English. And so I you didn't speak Spanish. Speak, and I I didn't speak a leg of Spanish. <laughs> but we got along real well like we went out to do all this outdoor stuff and then we had a lot of fun i mean like i use google translate so then like we can at least like somewhat communicate
0: so um, are you are you learning to speak spanish now i assume or yeah, yeah, yeah i mean
1: like now i can speak to her in spanish you know more or less okay. um it's been it's been a it's been like a year and a half so i i can speak enough to communicate with her now um so then i, I just after three days i was like hey you want to go with me all the way down to Argentina and the bottom of South America? She's like, I got to quit my job. Okay. <laughs> wow. And it's, just, it's like just got up and left, and then we just took off. Um, you know, we did a we did a we did a little bit of time in Colombia first. Uh, it was a little rough in the beginning. It's you've never been on a road trip with another person, you know, like, and you don't really communicate that well. And then like, it, there's, there's has is bound to be conflict initially. Yeah. And there's like cultural and other, other issues that are, that are, that are conflicting. And then, um, and then uh, we did about a, like a two week test it was good. And we kept going. That's fantastic.
0: And, yeah. Wow. So, so has she ever had a chance to come out to the U.S.? I mean, I'm going to assume not because of the time uh, frames and then COVID. And also, happened. yeah,
1: with COVID and also with uh, – they're they're really tight on giving uh, visas. Yeah. yeah. In general, to Colombians in general, I remember when I came back from Colombia, just on the regular flight to uh, Florida, they get out of the plane. They make you wind up one at a time and then they take the sniffer dog and then they sniff each and every single person before you can keep walking out the wow. gate. And I'm like, yo, is that serious? Apparently it is. Okay, is it, we assume
0: it's cocaine they're looking for. Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah, okay. Apparently it's that serious. Wow. Um,
1: yeah. Every Every passenger gets walk out in the line, they sniff you and then you can move on. Is you, that another? They do that actually
0: coming back from Nicaragua. Two? Yeah. So, but they do a little uh, bit differently. So you're in the customs line, right? Yeah. Well, then they have this big gap, and the two people go at a time, and they walk the dog between you guys. Okay. So you're in the big long snaking custom line, and they have a section off where you have to like wait here, and then there's like an opening over here, and they'll say go, and then the two of you walk, and they come with the bond snipping dog, and they kind of like walk with you, and then they come back over here, or not? Which airport is this? Ah. Uh, I don't remember if this is on the U.S. side. I don't remember if this was in Atlanta. I think it was in Atlanta. I think I flew back into Atlanta.
1: I was in Orlando. Like literally right when you come out, of, before you even leave the plane, they'll sniff you first before you can depart into the airport.
0: Wow. Yeah, see, ours was on the way to customs. Like you're okay. already lined up for the customs line. And then they just have, like I said, a little sectioned off area uh-huh. where they just bring you through two yeah, by two. Yeah, yeah. And they walk that drug sniffing dog right next to you. And yeah. he's like, actually i got i get held up in customs all the time really all the time um i get randomly selected really yeah Uh, going going to paris i got randomly selected i think twice um for like extra screening and coming back from nicaragua i was bringing cigars which nicaragua like a huge chunk of their economy is cigars and most of their tourism is cigar tourism. Right. So it's not new that I'm coming back from Nicaragua and I'm going to have some cigars. And um, yeah, so I, I bought a bunch of cigars. I mean, I tried to stay under the limit, you know what I mean? And, um, but I, yeah, I bought a bunch of cigars while I was in Nicaragua and, no, of I, course. and I told them <laughs> like anything in your bag and like, yeah, I bought some cigars. How many? And I, I don't remember how many it was. It was like 80 or, or something, you know, it was, or 50 or whatever, like two bundles. And um, I think, Oh, well, you're going to have to go to this other place for, extra screening or whatever and so they send me this other line and i'm not allowed like they make me pull my bag off and then bring my bag down there and then like something the some other area you couldn't touch your bag and it was just crazy like all this extra screening and then i finally get to the customs officer um down at the extra screening and he's like okay so why'd they send you and i was like well i've got cigars and he's like oh jesus <laughs> and then just like stamps it and sends me on my way but yeah, the first customs officer was super grumpy with me. Like, what? You have how many cigars? And like, yeah. I was like, it's not that many really, but okay, I guess. And I told him the law as I understood it. I was like, okay, as I understand, you're allowed to bring back X number of cigars and I'm like 20 cigars under that limit. So I should be good. And
1: yeah. <laughs> he disagreed. He's <laughs> like, no, I caught you. So now it doesn't matter how many you have. I'm just going to... Oh.
0: I'm, i declared it you know what i mean like,
1: exactly
0: yeah oh
1: my goodness yeah. silliness
0: yeah but it's, i love traveling though like even with all those different um you know annoyances or whatever i love to travel so I, I dream now of going to norway to ride because i was watching a youtube video of this guy on his adventure bike riding these mountain roads in in norway and there was this mist over the mountains and this like waterfall over here and then all the stuff was green around i was like oh my god i want to go ride a bike there
1: And just like oh
0: man so that's my that's my post-covid goal is to get up to norway rent a motorcycle and go ride that same road that this dude was on so what about you? Do you have any post-COVID plans? Maybe not around the world because you don't have the kind of time. But anything yeah. maybe shorter.
1: Yeah, I mean, I always like to go out west. You know, that's that's like my default. And I would trailer out. I trailer out a few years. Um, trailering out has its benefits because you can get there in two days if you drive. Yeah. Um, and you have more time out west than just going through the um, going through the planes so so if anything i would probably you know i I, i've always wanted to go to big ben uh in texas and i I never actually visited texas before so that's one of the things i wanted to do so that might be on my short list and then of course the um Tooth pass in wyoming every time i come back from my cross-country trip or wherever i go it just never happens it a shame. Something something happens and it never happens and I'm just like, oh man. So those are those are those are two giant lists on my short list to do. Wyoming, Beartooth Pass in um, and in um, Texas or uh, Big Ben. Wow. So well, that's
0: awesome. I like I said, I can't wait to see the photos and stuff that you hopefully will keep your blog updated with. Um so I think uh, at this point, I'm just going to say thanks for coming onto the podcast. Yeah. I really do appreciate it. I love hearing about your trip. Um, I definitely look forward to hearing more about your trips. And um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Modern Squid. If you'd like to follow more of his adventures, you can follow his website, www.breakthecycles.com and Break is spelled B-R-A-K-E. If you'd like to follow his Instagram, you can do that at BreakTheCycles. And again, B-R-A-K-E. As always, I'll have an episode page up on themodernsquid.com where you can find episode links and also other
1: information. So thanks again, and have a good one.